0: Hello everyone and welcome to the kernel of truth podcast. I'm your host Rupa at Cumulus and now in media. And in this episode, today we'll be talking about Cumulus Linux at one of our beloved customers, CloudScale. And we have with us today, Manuel, Attila, and Mark, Uh, Manuel from CloudScale, Attila and Mark from uh, Cumulus Networks. I will refrain from saying their last names because I'll butcher it and I'll let them introduce themselves further. Uh, Manuel?
1: Yes, hello and thanks for the opportunity to speak here. Um, uh, I am the CEO of CloudScale. Um, We are a Swiss infrastructure as a service provider And um, as you can guess, um, I am today on this podcast because I am not the usual CEO. Um, I am a very technical person. Um, I basically founded the company by accident because I thought um, there was a demand for a solution from engineers for engineers. And that's basically all that CloudScale is about. Um, We're trying to have a solution entirely based in Switzerland um, that is easy to use, um, has a strong technical background, uh, is stable, obviously. And uh, yeah, so uh, that's that's pretty much.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, thanks, Manuel. Yes, I can uh, second that your technical expertise. <laughs> I, yeah, it's been a pleasure working with you. Attila and Mark, you want to introduce yourselves?
2: Well, uh, I'm Attila de Goot. I used to be an SE uh, at Cumulus, now uh, a solution architect at NVIDIA. Uh, Same thing, though. Um, And yeah, over the past two years, uh, we've been working with Manuel. um, And yeah, that's why I joined the podcast. Mark Horsfield, and I'm part of the support
3: team. And when Manuel's cases come in, they get routed to me. Uh, We've worked uh together for quite a while i think basically since early days when you started kicking tires and that's been good
0: so what we want to do here is uh walk through CloudScale's scale's deployment with cumulus networks open networking and so on and it will be a good thing for the listeners to get a feel of how to deploy you know what what to look out for and so on and of course uh, some great stories from CloudScale. So uh, to start with, Manuel, maybe we can uh, maybe you can give us a overview of uh, what you what CloudScale does and what your deployment needs are uh, and so on. I know IPv6 has been uh, important for you guys, and I know Cumulus you have helped a lot. I mean, we have learned a lot from your deployment on IPv6. So maybe touch on that as well.
1: Sure. Um, so. At CloudScale, uh, right from the start, we had customers that asked us whether we would go fully dual stack. Um, Since our company was uh, founded in 2014, um, IPv6 was already uh, 20 years or more. And uh, therefore, uh, I could understand that demand. Um, Furthermore, Switzerland, uh, being a very small country in Europe, uh, was among the top adopters of IPv6 worldwide. I think we were number three for a long time. And unfortunately, now uh, some other countries have uh, have been faster um, in adopting IPv6. But nevertheless, um, if you have customers in Switzerland, uh, it doesn't take long until you hear the requirement, we need to have IPv6. And that was one of the reasons why um, for cloud scale, it was always clear um, we needed a dual stack network. Um, we then started out uh, using a proprietary solution from another vendor, uh, which went quite well. And at the point in time where there was the decision to make whether we would continue with said vendor or look for something else, we started um, investigating our options. And um, I actually stumbled across Cumulus Linux or Cumulus VX um, by the pointer of a friend who said, well, you really have to check out Cumulus because CloudScale is a open source company. Uh, You're doing mainly Debian and Ubuntu, so you should check it out. Um, And that was, I remember it was a rainy weekend. Uh, when when I first installed Cumulus VX on my notebook, and I, I gave it a try. And I can only recommend to everyone out there who wants to give Cumulus a try to either go with the Cumulus in the cloud setup, um, which basically um, spares you the hassles of having to run a, a hypervisor on your computer, or Um, If you're a bit more advanced, then try out the um, Cumulus VX images that you can download and run on your local workstation or notebook because that actually gives you um, Cumulus as is. Um, There's one exception. You obviously don't have an ASIC, so you don't have the chip that takes care of forwarding line rate, Uh, but it's the kernel that does everything for you. Um, But that's more or less the only thing you have to to keep in mind when you do your testing. But apart from that, you really get um, the full fledged solution. Um, There is nothing hidden. There is nothing um, obfuscated or um, you don't have to think that you need like a special license to unlock certain features, (laughs) etc, etc.
2: So Manuel, you just mentioned Cumulus in the cloud and um, uh, did you actually try our renewed version uh, of it already?
1: No, honestly, I I didn't have a chance yet to try it. Um, I tested the first version and it took quite some time to launch. And I then decided that uh, it was faster for me to run it on KVM, and we set up a dedicated host just um, for a bunch of Cumulus VX um, servers so that we could have a virtual
2: lab. Well, uh, that is now all being solved. Uh, it takes about three to four minutes to uh, start up uh, any lab. So uh, that is quite cool. But uh, the reason that I'm asking, when we started out, uh, you probably know that we have the topology converter with Vagrant and it builds the topology for you. and. Uh, I remember that we had quite some discussions where you said, I don't like Vagrant because it messes up with my interfaces and whatnot. And you built your entire thing in KVM and uh, well, it, it worked and it was fine. Um, but yeah, we were more thinking, okay, we need something now. So Vagrant is the yeah uh, best thing that there is right now. But the thing is that Cumulus Error, which is the backend name, uh, actually doesn't use Vagrant. So it doesn't do anything with those interfaces anymore. See,
1: so I already knew back then that this would be the way forward. And therefore I already went with the KVM only solution because I knew you guys would eventually come to reason. and.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm. Actually, I didn't know the history about uh, you trying out VX first. I'm really glad to know uh, that you do all your testing. I know you do a bit of testing on VX, but I didn't know that you started with VX and so on. So that is really good to know because part of my work at Cumulus has always been to make the Linux networking stack work and make uh, for this offload and make VX possible, right? So I'm, that's, that's really, I'm happy to know about that. So, so, About open networking, uh, manual, you mentioned that you went with some, you're looking at proprietary vendors, and this was the first, we were the first open networking solution, I'm guessing, in terms of hardware you're looking at. And did, uh, what were the factors you were considering? Did you need a hardware choice or it was only the disaggregated operating system that you were mainly interested in? Just curious to know your thoughts.
1: Um, Actually, so I already mentioned that to Attila earlier. So, to me, the term open networking is is not 100% positive because there are a lot of people out there that are scared of the term open source uh, by itself because it it kind of um, implies that you have to take care of everything yourselves, um, which is not the case with Cumulus, right? Uh, What you get there is a a Linux uh, as a basis uh, that has been Uh, tuned and patched to become a a full-fledged network operating system. And you get support. You have a 24-7 team that will help you in case you run into any issues. Uh, That's basically how I met Mark, right? I met Mark, yes. Yes, he's been very helpful along the way. And um, so the term open networking, and that's something I just want to emphasize here, it, it doesn't mean that uh, you're all on your own. Uh, You will have support. Um, The only difference is that you will not buy a black box. You will not buy something um, where you cannot look beyond uh, a CLI, where you cannot look beyond artificial interface that limits you to doing certain things, right? I mean, we have other vendors like Arista or Juniper that have been using Linux um, uh, as as their basis as well. But there, it's always um, the feeling you get starting to use um, the ecosystem. It's like you're breaking out of the CLI, and um, that's that is accompanied by by bad feelings, right? Because you know you're doing something that is not fully supported or should not be done, and You're on your own because you basically breached the official perimeter, right? And for Cumulus Linux, it's the opposite way. So you get uh, uh, an open source software, you get Linux. Um, When you log in, you're not locked into some CLI or into some small shell you have the power of Linux at your hand, and then on top of that, you also get the CLI. That, by the way, helps you to transition from a typical network vendor um, to an open network vendor, because um, you're probably used to having a CLI and Cumulus is not taking that away from you. But you will quickly learn that there are other possibilities once you get full access to a system. Um, I then discovered the possibility, instead of firing a bunch of sequential commands in the CLI, I was able to to aggregate things in a file. I mean, all I had to do was edit a certain file. I was able to use Ansible. I was able to use loops. And there, um, my configuration became so much easier and less error prone because I could fully automate things. Um, And if, if there's something that I would like to to uh, to say to people looking at Cumulus as a solution, it is don't be afraid to get started using the CLI, but then look into other options as well. Cumulus Linux will offer you much more than just a um, replacement for a CLI that you're used to. You will find out that you can use all the tools that you know from a system engineering perspective, if you want to run htop, if you want to look um, at a certain proc file, if you want to, it's it's all there. Uh, there's nothing hidden, and um, basically the approach that Cumulus took was um, they wrote a daemon that is called switchd, and that's more or less the only thing that is in there that is kind of a black box to you. But knowing that all that switchd does is translate netlink messages from the kernel to ASIC commands, you don't have to care about that. It's it's basically like your database gets written down to the ASIC. That's all it does. And apart from that, everything around it, it's just pure Linux.
2: So Manuel, you have a technical background, right? And you just explained that switch D and you shouldn't care about that. Um, sometimes we're talking to customers and they do seem to care about it, but Um, Yeah, I think, okay, do you really need to? And so do you really care about what's going on in uh, a demon like Switch D?
1: Well, uh, you know the answer to that, right? I mean, we all care about something once it's not doing what it's supposed to or it should. And that's when things uh, start getting messy. If you're looking at the black box, because then you're limited in terms of debugging and you have to escalate things, et cetera. But apart from that, I mean, um, the, the less tasks that we offload to switch D, and I guess you did a pretty good job in limiting it to, as I said before, uh, make the database state of the kernel, um, the ASIC state. Uh, that's basically what switch D is for. Um, if that process is stable, then um, I don't see a reason why switch D would be something you have to care about. Um, I mean, I can compare it to other solutions out there. I know that uh, Arista, for example, is running a full fledged database. Uh, on their systems, and you have state for every single daemon in there. And if something goes wrong with that database, I can only tell you, well, good luck. And um, in, in the case of the kernel, you have to know, well, it's it's the kernel. It's, it's something that is powering that system, right? And that database doesn't just go corrupt. And then there's another advantage. At first, when I heard it for the first time, I was very skeptical. I remember talking to Shrijeet Um, in Zurich, and he said, well, what we're doing is we're periodically checking that the state of the kernel is the state in the ASIC. And I was like, but that uses a lot of CPU cycles, right? I mean, you're just doing the same over and over again. And he said, yeah, that's true. And it was a architectural decision that we had to make. But there's one big advantage if by any chance or bad luck, We lose a certain Netlink message, so let's call it a change in the database, um, and we don't get that. Um, We still have it in the kernel, so the kernel will get updated, but maybe we didn't catch it and we didn't write it into the ASIC. But now, the next cycle, when we go through the state of the kernel, we will realize, oh, there's one left that that didn't make it in the ASIC yet, and all we have to do is apply that change as well, uh, which gives you a... Certainty that um, maybe in in a worst case scenario, not all the messages or not all the states of the database make it into the ASIC, but eventually they will, which compared to another solution where you're running a database, you will really have to catch all the changes there and be sure that they made it into the ASIC or you will not have a stable state. You will have to basically reboot the device to get into a stable state.
0: Very nice, Manuel. You know more about Kubernetes Linux than, you know, (laughs) anybody out there today. (laughs) Very nice. Uh, And I I liked your perspective about the whole CLI thing as well, right? Nicely put. So I think the next step, maybe we can talk about a little bit about your workflows, um, your CI, CD, test lab. I know we all know, uh, have known it, and you've been uh, reporting us back. You take any Uh, suggestion that we have for your problems and you quickly test it on a test lab and that has always worked well for us and for you right so could you tell us a little bit about uh, your workflow
1: sure so um compared to to other companies um that are like mainly networking companies we didn't write our tests with networking in mind Uh, we are running openstack and Ceph. these are two Big open source initiatives, and um, what we what we knew we would have to do because we don't rely on vendor support. There is we knew we'd have to test things thoroughly, and because the whole idea behind CloudScale is to basically add an abstraction layer on top of two big open source projects um, and provide the customer with a simple and neat user experience. Um, we knew that we would have to put a lot of efforts into testing. And therefore, we fully developed our cloud control panel with a test-driven approach. And over time, after, well, you start out writing unit tests for obvious reasons, and then you start writing integration tests. And uh, at at some point, you realize that the more infrastructure you have, the, the bigger your ecosystem grows. The more systems you have to take into consideration as well. In our case, the network is not only um, pushing packets for customers that go from machine A to B, but it's also the backbone of our storage network, right? It's it's the um, or or our storage solution. Um, if the network is down, cloud scale is down. It's not just that um, customers cannot communicate um, anymore but also storage access would be impossible. So having that in mind, um, we knew that we would have to test the ecosystem very thoroughly. And we did that by by writing acceptance tests. Um, And I'm very happy to announce that um, we are not far away of um, releasing those acceptance tests publicly. Um, So I was uh, just uh, looking at the latest results last week, and I saw that uh, we have now a set of, I think, 102 tests um, that are just there to test end-to-end the infrastructure from a customer's perspective. So um, what we would do is we, we take a token, a API token, and we just do everything using our own API. Uh, you can call it eat your own dog food, right? And Um, We then test um, that, let's say, a server can be launched. It has a public IPv6 address, a public IPv4 address. It can reach certain sites on the internet. Um, There is storage. It's running smoothly, etc. So we do that and we run those tests regularly. So we wrote those tests to be sure that if we apply a change, the state after having applied the change will remain the same so that no customer will have a negative impact implied by that change. And um, basically we took those tests and we just ran them on on Cumulus Linux as well. So um, we we did an upgrade Um, first. We did that using the package manager of Debian, so apt, and we then discovered that it would get us into a more deterministic and very easily reproducible state if we just use ONI. ONI is an initiative um, that was also initiated by Cumulus Linux, uh, by Cumulus networks, I'm sorry. And uh, ONI basically gives you the pre-boot environment that you, that is well known as uh, Pixie from servers, but on your network equipment. And this helps you to install any noise um, very easily and fully automated. In our case, it takes us a couple minutes to go from a switch that we unbox, that we mount in a rack, we cable to a fully working, fully integrated switch, because using the HCP options, we can make sure that the switch will boot it will get its configuration automatically. There's a uh, Cumulus Linux calls that sat zero touch provisioning. Um, with that, all the license stuff and the initial users, et cetera, will get deployed. And then all we have to do is run Ansible on top of it and we're done. And that's basically the rebuild pipeline that we have in place now. So if we test an upgrade, we do that several times in a row. Um, that way we're able also to catch race conditions etc and it gives us a very simple and reproducible way to test upgrades
2: so you just described the entire upgrade process manuel um when we talk to customers and i think that's for mark as well um then they're saying yeah but if i'm upgrading then i'm losing my configuration and every time we have to repeat like okay but you're source of truth your configuration shouldn't be on the box itself um uh, so in uh, some previous conversations that you said is that previously you were working with classical providers uh, or uh, vendors how hard was it for you to come into that spirit like okay i shouldn't rely on my configuration on that box
1: well, you have to understand um, one of my favorite um, examples of how we used to work is Rancid. I mean, Rancid is well known in the networking industry. Uh, it's a tool that basically locks into more or less any switch. Uh, it does a show run and collects your running configuration and then stores it. I think uh, back then it was SVN and today it's even Git. So that's an advancement, right? Okay, I'm and, I mean, Rancid was the solution to a problem um, that people had. They were afraid of losing their configuration, but it was not a solution to, to the actual need that people had. People needed to have a deterministic way to deploy a configuration. How many companies prepare a change in Confluence? Or in DocuWiki, because all they have is lines of CLI changes and probably they also have a lab and they can test it there, but that's, that's the, the farthest they go, right? And now taking Cumulus Linux, for example, um, if you have a configuration management that you already know from your server side, for example, Puppet, Chef, SaltStack, or in our case Ansible, um then obviously your single point of truth would be your git files. And you would do you would apply a change there, you could also uh, revert it anytime you like. And you could add tags there saying, Okay, I tested this configuration on Cumulus Linux three seven eleven, and now I'm doing a upgrade and I'm preparing the configuration for three seven twelve, et these are all options that you never had with traditional CLI deployments. And on top of that, um, as I said, it's easily repeatable. So if you reinstall using ONI, you get a fresh box. It's like you just unpacked it. And now you deploy your configuration and you know that it's in that exact state that your version control system tells you, you just applied it, right? And I think that's one of the major benefits and that's something that people need to understand. And yeah, it it takes a mind shift, a network engineer that has been working with Cisco for the last 20 years, he will not just easily adopt that solution. He will first have to realize what the power of having a single point of truth, a version control system, a config management, is, and let's not forget that with Cumulus networks, those two worlds, they they come much closer than they were ever before. So system engineering and network engineering is not two pairs of shoes anymore. It's It feels alike. I mean, you're using Ansible on the system engineering side. Well, just start using Ansible on your network equipment. You're happy with Puppet, then use Puppet. I mean, nobody tells you Um, which tool you have to use anymore. And you don't have to deal with all those proprietary solutions that vendors will sell you additional license for and tell you if you don't use that and that system, then you will not be able to use uh, XYZ feature. Uh, It's all there. It's open and it's uh, at your fingertip and all it takes is um, a, a small mind shift towards getting those two words more closer together and and not distinguish between network engineering and system engineering from a configuration perspective anymore.
0: Very nicely articulated manual. Um, so Tatala, do you um, have any stories about your deployment or uh, with manual working with manual? Good stories, I mean, anything that you wanna share?
2: Good stories. Well, obviously, um, so any deployment that any customer has some uh, issues, um, and uh, that was the case with uh, CloudSkill as well. And uh, in the end, we uh, all solved them. Um, So before we were uh, talking a bit like, okay, what what are some cool, uh, between uh, quotes, uh, problems that we've seen? And I think, um, uh, Mark, uh, yeah, perhaps you know one that was like, okay, that's kind of a cool problem that we've solved. Uh, Obviously, it shouldn't have been there in the first place, but um, yeah.
3: yeah, It was definitely interesting troubleshooting like IPv6 in the EVPN overlays. And because it was still like pretty early from a, a draft perspective. And Manuel was pushing that forward because it has to meet their requirements for IPv6 tenancy. Um, So, yeah, Yeah. it was fun to go along that journey.
0: Yeah, definitely. Even I I still remember the um, IPv6 link local uh, configuration. It's simple, basic link local configuration, uh, Linux configuration. And uh, we hadn't thought of uh, including that in the first phase, right? Like uh, not making it easier for configuration. But that was an interesting experience for me and the way um, the manuals ipv6 gateways and it was a uh, work it was pretty uh, very up there you know very futuristic and uh, interesting learning experience for all of us actually
3: so manuel i don't know if you remember but uh one of the use cases for uh, cumulus in the cloud at the time uh you gave us a uh, bug in the in the broken state gave us Ansible playbook to reproduce it. And it was basically within a day, we were able to hand it off to the development team so that they could go dig into it. But like for me, from a support side, it would have taken me a day just to cable up my lab in the same way that you have it. So uh, doing that stuff was like totally different than what I was used to uh, at previous tech support jobs.
0: Yeah, it's been I, I I also have experience with uh, giving manual scripts to run uh, on his open <laughs> Linux scripts to get some data off. So it's it's definitely been easier and uh, to debug manual's network. Um, so what what else do we want to talk about? Um, what other wish list do you have, manual, apart from no bugs?
1: Uh, that was a good summary. <laughs> um, no um I mean from we 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 didn't go very deep into why we ended up going with cumulus Linux in the end. I mean, I mentioned some of the advantages um that we see with cumulus Linux today. I have to admit that we didn't see all of them in advance, and I think nobody does I mean you have to experience it to. Uh, to to get to know the advantages and and the ecosystem. Um, But um, I think it's important to understand that one of the reasons for us to go with Cumulus Linux or Cumulus Networks as a company was not only the open networking approach, but it was also the fact that um, you were implementing the solution based on standards. For us, it was very important because we came from a proprietary fabric solution that was based on Trill. And as people in the audience may know, um, Trill is based on a RFC. But unfortunately, um, some details that are quite important were left out in that RFC. Um, The main reason that Trill never made it to inter-vendor operability was that the underlay It was intentionally left to the vendor which solution to implement in the underlay but that at the same time meant that you would always have to buy equipment from the same vendor to scale out your network and that was something that we wanted really to avoid right from the start so evpn as a solution was something um, that we said that's a must-have we're only looking at vendors that are either trying or or already have implemented eVPN. And that's also the way we want to go forward. So if you look at the latest eVPN drafts or even the things that are already stable and final, um, you can see that eVPN will also solve the problem of having servers attached to multiple switches at the same time without doing routing, right? So if you come from a traditional MLAC network topology and you, for whatever reasons, need to keep that layer two domain there, you might want to look at the solution that is EVPN native, that is standards-based, that will give you the possibility to multi-home those hosts, uh, as I said, with a standards-based approach. So no need for a proprietary solution there anymore as well. And that's something where we felt um, Cumulus is not only talking about open networking in the sense of, well, we're leveraging uh, open source as a basis like other vendors do as well by running Linux, but it was also all about, let's keep the system open as we build it. Let's feedback stuff that we fix to the kernel. I mean, I remember working on a case with David Ahern and um, we were actually able to to debug the issue and see that it was a kernel issue. It was not a kernel issue in Cumulus Linux. It was a kernel kernel issue. You know, it's the Linux kernel that had an issue and he was able to submit the patch. That patch went upstream and it made it back into all the distributions out there. Right. So um, and and that's something I think as um, without wanting to sound too philosophical there, um, I think um the the community the open source community as a whole we have to try to work together to make to make the ecosystem a better place and not um every vendor invites the wheel once more and tries to to sell it as brand new solution let's work together let's let's push forward open standards let's make sure we have interoperability between vendors. That was one of the reasons why we went for Cumulus Linux because we said it's all there—the the idea, the DNA, the mindset. That's what we have been looking for, and that's what really convinced us um, to go forward with Cumulus.
0: That is awesome, uh, Manuel. Actually, you know, I appreciate when somebody appreciates that, right? I mean, this whole thing about open implementations—not only open standards, open implementations—and having it work. Uniformly everywhere. That's uh, has been the goal for of Cumulus, and that's been on our DNA. And we try to keep that on every feature we develop. Right? We every feature we design, we try to put a lot of thought into it. And somebody appreciating it is really very nice. Thank you. I think we can wrap it wrap it up. Thank, thanks a lot, Manuel, Attila, and Mark. And uh, yep. hope. We'll have you again, uh, Manuel, you know, just to talk about general open implement, no, not about the cumulus <laughs> deployment, maybe, you know, we should have a chat about, you know, just open standards, open implementations. Uh, we'll have a lot of things to talk about. Thanks for listening to The Kernel of Truth. We'll be posting show notes on the Kimulus blog, where you can find loads of educational material on Kimulus and the open networking industry as a whole. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already, so you're notified when the next episode is posted or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you.